Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Carly Lewis. Hello. Freelance writer for McLean's, for Interview Magazine, for The Guardian, etc., etc. That's true. Welcome to CanadaLand <laughs> Shortcuts. Thank you for having me. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Alex Sadowski, Elizabeth Prozinski, Danny, Dana Wiener, Aaron Schneider, Douglas Williams, Pauls Myfriend, James Eakins, and Arjun Basu. Arjun, why did you decide to be awesome? Because someone needs to police the police, and you guys do it all the time, and you're awesome. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. Carly? Yes. What do you use for your invoicing? Uh, you know what? I use... Word documents. I just use Word documents and PDF them. I did this yeah. for many, many years, and then I discovered FreshBooks, and it's better. FreshBooks is made for people like you and me, for freelancers, for small businesses and entrepreneurs, and it makes it really easy to invoice people. It makes it really easy to track your invoices, to get reports when it's tax time. You can see when people look at the invoice, and they just unveiled a new feature which is really exciting. You can request money in advance from your client. Get paid up front by requesting a deposit. And I guess we technically could have always done that, but I think that there's something about having it built into the actual software where the client is getting this official request because 
you know how it is, right? Like sometimes they'll take like three or four months to pay you. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like they're earning interest on the money you're paying on your credit card. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually built into why it's so crappy to be a freelancer at times. And like when you're incurring expenses, when you're not going to get paid until you hand in the thing and maybe not even a few months after that, why not ask for five or 10% in advance? It makes a lot of sense to me. And I bet you it's the kind of thing that once you ask and it looks really official, mm. which FreshBooks allows it to, you actually would get five or 10 Maybe, maybe. What's the longest you've ever been, uh, you've, you've had to wait to get paid? I've like consistently bothered a client for a year. Mm. And they had the nerve at the end of the year to be like, why are you bothering about this so much? It's only $125. And I said, why are you holding out on me for a year? It's only $125. Mm-hmm. I, that was like, it still makes my blood boil when I think about that. Yeah. That I should have, I should have just swallowed the expense. Anyhow, freshbooks.com. Yeah. Cloud accounting, painless billing with FreshBooks. Check it out. You can try it out for 30 days for free. And when you do decide to sign up, tell them that Canada Land sent you and you will be helping this podcast. FreshBooks. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Carly, I first want to talk about your recent piece on the shit list in McLean's. Mm -hmm. What's the shit list? The shit list was a uh, list that was taped up in the bathroom at a concert venue in Toronto at the beginning of September. On the list were a handful of names of local men who had allegedly committed sexual assault. Just a stack of papers in a bathroom. That's right. What was the backstory? What was this all about? What was the point of this? I think the point of this was to tell other women the names of men who could potentially be dangerous to them in their community. Mm-hmm. Shitlists and rape lists, as I mentioned in my McLean's piece, are not a new idea. They're kind of something that's being revived in in the face of desperation, in the face of 
a legal system that is typically unfriendly and unhelpful to survivors of sexual assault. I think a lot of women are just turning once again to underground methods of communication because they have to. It's interesting, like the response, I mean, I want to hear what you got from the response, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, I know from when women go through the media Mm -hmm. to talk about um, men who they allege raped or sexually abused them, mm-hmm. there's this very predictable response of like, well, that this is not the right process. Mm-hmm. That is not how we deal with things. What's the accountability? You're going to ruin lives and it's, a, it's, it's what a slippery slope for false accusation. Your focus is on, well, the systems aren't working, which is why this is happening. Right. But lists have been going around in bathroom stalls at university campuses and at bars for years and years and years. But what made this case unique was that it went up on Tumblr, uh-huh. um, which very quickly dramatically increased the spread of the information, which also made it even more defamatory because the risk and the severity of defamation increases when the reach of that information increases. So that, I think, is what made this a big deal is that it was being tweeted and Instagrammed a lot. And then somebody unrelated to the list took it upon themselves to put it on Tumblr. And then took it off. Very quickly, yes, because they correctly feared legal trouble. Yeah. Do you know that they, if they were threatened? I don't know if they were threatened, but I, they would have been correct to, to fear that legal threat. I see both sides of this. I mean, I, I saw the list mm-hmm. and I recognized the name of somebody on it. I recognized all the names. I have this dual response of like, but what if it's not true? And that, mm-hmm. that could have been anybody who put that up there. And then there's what we know is true, which is we know that the that sexual assault happens all the time mm-hmm. and that the vast majority of it is never reported ne- and the small percentage that is reported rarely ever results in a conviction. Mm-hmm. And so you're sort of weighing these things against each other and then asking, you know, this this kind of like fear that is voiced so frequently of like false accusation, false mm-hmm. accusation. Which are very rare. Which I think are like, – we know that one thing is incredibly common, that, right. that, that rape and sexual assault is incredibly common, and we know that false accusation is incredibly rare. Very rare. And yet that's sort of the first place that everybody goes. Right. I mean I think that there's like a – obviously an innocent until proven guilty mentality. That I, mean, I wouldn't want my name on. Right. You know? No. And I mean I've – my policy is to believe women always and to believe survivors always. But sure, I wouldn't be happy if a friend of mine was accused wrongly of committing sexual assault. But in my life, I've – known dozens and dozens of women who have been sexually assaulted. I don't know. Dozens and dozens. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and more than that, actually, I, it's, it's difficult to think of a, a single woman in my life who hasn't encountered sexual assault in some way. That said, I don't think I know a single man in my life who has ever been wrongly accused of sexual assault. Yeah. And I mean, every lawyer I spoke to said that it is incredibly rare to be accused with sexual assault wrongly. Like it just... There's so little advantage to coming forward with sexual assault. That's the point. For some reason, I needed Bill Maher to get this across. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, it really resonated when he was, like, talking about the Cosby accusers mm-hmm. and all of the shit that's been said about them. Mm-hmm. Are they looking for money? Are they looking for glory? And he said, there's no glory, there's no glory in, in telling the world that you have been defiled by this geriatric like, – mm-hmm. like, that's not anything that you want your friends, family. Like, like mm-hmm. nobody wants to – There's a lot of things that people don't take into consideration when it comes to these kinds of accusations and speaking up about them. Like there's psychological trauma. There's re-traumatization. You have to sit in a courtroom and tell a room full of strangers intimate and traumatizing, harrowing details about things that happened to your body and have people think of you in that way. Like it's, it's embarrassing. It's hard. It's, it's really difficult. So this, this idea of people just you know, going around seeking out 
damages and seeking money from from men by c- accusing them of being rapists. I don't think that that happens. <laughs> I learned from your piece, I was kind of shocked to read this, that the Ontario, Ontario Civil Liberties Association wants defamation stricken from Canadian law. Completely. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, they have a pretty extreme position on it. They say that it's it's a tool the powerful use to silence criticism. Their position is that rather than going to the law, they think that people should think for themselves and be able to evaluate situations and come to their own conclusions based on their own ideas of plausibility. But like I said, that's a pretty extreme position. Right. Um, <laughs> it was an interesting conversation, to say the least. How's response been to the piece? Because I noticed that on the online version on McLean's website, mm. comments are disabled. Oh, I didn't know that they were disabled, actually. That explains why there are no comments. Um, I mean, the piece obviously I, doesn't include the shit list itself. It could not. Right. There's, we couldn't do that. But if you left the comments open, how long would it take before somebody just— You know what? I think that it was actually a pretty even-handed piece, to be honest. And I think that that's why the commentary around it has been pretty tame. Mm-hmm. I— Received way more hate mail to my personal Gmail when I wrote about Lena Dunham being annoying for McLean's about a month before, whereas I've received very little backlash on this one. But like I said, I think it was an even-handed piece. I think it was an incredibly even-handed piece. I think I think it was – I think that on a, on a, a story like that that is so divisive, mm-hmm. it's almost extreme to be even-handed because people want you to mm-hmm. take an extreme position. Mm-hmm. I mean I think that there's sort of a mainstream view about something like that is that this is just – this is anarchy. Mm-hmm. That this is just uh, reputation ruining anarchy, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be tolerated. It is defamation, and we should like. And it's written in a bathroom stall, and you know, I think that that a, a total mm-hmm. rebuke of the shit list would be a mainstream position that I could easily see in a uh, editorial in the National Post or the Globe and Mail. Mm-hmm. You did not take the contrary position. You you simply said this exists. There's a reason why people go to this place with it. I mean, you know, if we consider the possibility that that the people on the list are guilty and you put yourself in the shoes of the victims. It's like, well, from the just basic motivation of I don't want this to happen to other people, mm-hmm. this is one thing that might be done. Mm-hmm. My takeaway after researching this for a long time, and I worked on this piece for months, by the way, I had a piece in the works prior to that shit list coming out about uh, Canadian defamation law as it pertained to sexual assault, and then the list happened. Yeah. So my takeaway from investigating this for a long time and after talking to a lot of people in various countries about shit lists is that they are more about protecting women than they are about punishing men. Mm -hmm. So if there's one thing that I would encourage people to consider after learning about this kind of approach, it would be that. Well, let me ask you about that, about punishing men and about this fear everyone has of men being ruined. Mm -hmm. Do you know of any repercussions for the men who've been on that list? Hmm. I think there have been some social repercussions for the men who are on the list. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you are a man who has sexually assaulted people repeatedly, that is the very, very least of uh, the kind of repercussions that you should be facing. If you are right. guilty of if, that. If you are guilty. Um, there was one person on the list who had been acquitted of two sexual assault charges already, so that mm-hmm. kind of complicates it a little bit yeah. um, because they had, that person has already gone through the court and— the court deemed that person not guilty, even though the judge in the second case said that his testimony and the testimony of the accuser were, quote, equally plausible. But in a case like that, under Canadian law, you have pretty much no choice but to acquit. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Which, which is, again, it's not, 
it's not friendly out there for survivors of sexual assault, which is why women have to turn to these bathroom stall kinds of lists. Jezalyn Radak in the piece, who formerly was uh, an ethics advisor to the American government, is now a legal advisor to Edward Snowden. She says in the list that she calls it um, desperate. It's a desperate thing to have to do. And it is a desperate thing to have to do. It's a complete last resort move that women have to turn to. The Globe and Mail has been caught holding back a story in order to help Justin Trudeau and the Liberals win last week's election. And the paper is actually defending what they did. The Globe sat on a bombshell story that Kathleen Wynne's government was paying off teachers unions with special payments to defray the cost of negotiating and also funneling money from a fund, money designated to help struggling students graduate, and then using that money to pay for new raises for teachers. None of this was known to the public, but the Globe knew. So how does the Globe sitting on this constitute them tipping the scales for Justin Trudeau? Well, the story was ready before Election Day, and they held it. They held it so that it wouldn't hurt Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. That is Brian Lilly on The Rebel telling parts of the truth, anyhow. <laughs> um, the Globe Mail had this investigation mm -hmm. that revealed that the Wynn government is paying off the unions as they're negotiating with them. I think it's up to $3.7 million now. It is turning into to a scandal. And they admit that they held the story back. Mm -hmm. That they held the story back to help the liberals is just complete speculation that is uh, unproven. The official reason they gave, that uh, Denis Choquette gave, is that to print it on the day of the election or right before the election when they could have would risk our appearance of neutrality. Were we to have published on election day, it would have risked the Globe and Mail's appearance of neutrality. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? I think <laughs> – like, is neutrality still a thing when it comes to newspapers? Is is the appearance of neutrality still a thing? After they that published was, a conservative endorsement. Absolutely. And, of course, the endorsement comes from a different department of the newspaper than the, the news comes from. But I was surprised at that language that was used. Like, that's that's kind of journalism school rhetoric that you hear when you are a journalism school student and then you graduate and quickly realize that, you know, that's it's like 101-level philosophy school. It's not realistic. I would be more interested in, as with any public editor, notice, I would always be more interested to hear what the conversations were before the publication took place as opposed to read the public editor notice. What they're saying is, look, we had already endorsed the conservatives. So if we're going to come out on election day with an anti-liberal story, mm -hmm. it looks like the whole paper is torn. It doesn't matter that it's the provincial liberals and not the federal liberals. Mm -hmm. How are we going to endorse the conservatives and then drop this anti-liberal bombshell on election day? It's going to make the whole Globe and Mail look like we're just so pro-Harper. Right. But what is laid bare in that statement is that the Globe and Mail decided mm -hmm. to prioritize managing their reputation and the appearance. Because he's not talking about their neutrality. Like, their, like to, to him, his neutrality is not in question. We're neutral. Mm -hmm. But in order to maintain the appearance of our neutrality, we held back news, mm -hmm. right? So they prioritized their like PR damage control over whatever responsibility they have to give us the news when when it's ready to go. Right. You know? And if that did influence people's votes, if people felt whether that's fair or not to punish the federal liberals for what the provincial liberals did, isn't that the reader's choice? Like, is, is that such a weird role for the Global Mail to take of like, well, we don't want idiots to mm -hmm. jump to conclusions, so we're not going to inform you mm -hmm. until you've made your decision. That's crazy to me. Are you saying you think it's a bit condescending? The implication is a bit condescending? I think they've totally damned themselves mm -hmm. in, in basically admitting that they, they put something above their primary purpose to tell the news. Right. And while simultaneously <laughs> insulting their readers. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I was talking to my 
mother about this this morning, my mom being a person who is not involved in making media in any way. She's simply a person who reads the newspaper, right? Which is, as people who work in media, we're not that often in contact with with people who don't make media, right? So God I think bless parents. Like, right? Yeah. People who are like, you know, smart and maybe even smarter than us who are not in this bubble of ours or mm-hmm. a wonderful little reality test. Right. So it can be, it can be easy to forget that not everybody thinks often about words like neutrality and objectivity. So anyway, my mom, who lives in the suburbs, has been following this closely, and she said, why don't they just put the news in the newspaper? Yeah. I'm kind of of two minds about it, to be honest, and I know that that's an unpopular place to be. On the one hand, I do think put the news in the newspaper and just don't, it, you know, who is it up to to disseminate information and determine what is essential? But on the other hand, anything that you put out on Election Day is going to be interpreted as election-related content. Right. Like it it would have come across as loaded to concern yourself with how it comes across Mm -hmm. or even with outcomes Mm -hmm. is a very dangerous thing to get into when you when you exist to inform people. But again, anything that comes out on Election Day is going to be interpreted as Election Day content. Um, I wrote a piece that could have gone up on Election Day and my editor held it unrelated to Canadian politics. But my editor held it because either no one's going to read it or in the case of The Globe, everyone's going to read it and it's going to come across as Political. Look, I can understand holding a piece because it's going to it's going to cannibalize the impact of the piece to put it out on, a, on an election day. Mm-hmm. But God forbid people should think it's relevant to a, dis, a major decision they have to make in their lives as, as citizens. God forbid. Do you think that it would have made a difference? Absolutely not. Yeah. Not one iota. I don't think that anything was going to get in the way of people's desire to shift. Right. It also comes down to what journalists determine is essential information. I guess the public interest was not damaged, well, unless you're a voter who actually, like, what if you are a voter who thinks, mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of light between the federal and the provincial liberals, and that mm-hmm. might have influenced my vote, and I would have liked to have had that information. I don't want the Globe and Mail making that decision for me. Right. So again, it's what what information is essential, and how and when do you disseminate that information? I think that these conversations often happen after the fact, in depth, and I think that they should happen before. Not to change topics too much here because I know we have a a time budget, a time constraint, Mm -hmm. but what made me furious was a recent Toronto Star public editor notice from Kathy English about an intern who had been duped by a a fake source who lied to them about a story. And then the story ran. Did you see this? About the car sex? Car sex, yeah. All right, let's pause and talk about that. Can we? First of all, it was my favorite correction. Like, we've told you where to have sex in your car, and it was all based on advice from some like supposed young Mac yeah. who never actually gave us that right. information at all. So multiple levels of editorial sloppiness at work here. But then to blame it on the intern, a young female reporter, I think is arrogant and, and unfair and really demeaning to this person's credibility. While we're shitting on public editors, why not? And I can't, this is, this is a, like, I'm, I'm forgiving of the Globe for the Mulcair thing, and I'm forgiving of the other public editor situation that we've just talked about with, with Kathleen Wynne, but I, I'm enraged. Well, when there's like a young intern who gets... I'm enraged about this. And what about the young supposed Mac? I mean, uh, we, we, and just so people know out there that Canada Land, we're, we're working with your dollars to get to the bottom of things. We tried to get in touch with that source who was misquoted as the source for the car sex advice. And this was all tied with the launch of the Star Touch app. This is a sexy story for all those millennials out there. Of, of course, the young people in our office here are like, who has a car? 
That's a good point. <laughs> the whole thing was about where to yeah. go when you when yeah. you you, know, you don't want to have sex in your parents' house, so where to go in, and have car sex. Who's got a car? And so the star touch being completely out of touch with that but, was part of the but irony. But no, no one had her back on that. Nobody followed up on that. Nobody said who who is your source. Like, I understand, yeah. I understand working with anonymous sources can get tricky, and protecting the identity of anonymous sources can be tricky. I know that, but. This is an intern. Yeah. You know, this is an intern level reporter who's just finished journalism school. And you're, she got tricked. And now when you Google that person's name, Forever. this is what you see. Blame I think, I think it's blame the intern. So unfair. Quick note before I play the next clip that this contains audio from the Sami Yatim shooting. And it's pretty disturbing. Well, ever since he died in a hail of police bullets on a Toronto streetcar, questions have swirled about what exactly happened just before 18-year-old Sami Yatim died. Sami Yatim was shot nine times by Constable James Fursillo. One of those first shots pierced his heart and ultimately killed him. Today, for the first time, we saw and heard video from those final tense moments more than two years ago. A stampede of passengers races to the front of the streetcar, glancing at the rear. The doors open and the crowd exits visibly afraid. So finally it sounds like a disorderly male on board. At the rear, we see a team swing a switchblade at a woman and expose himself. A male being uh, abusive. Then flashing lights, cops arrive. <laughs> Constable Fursillo and his partner Iris Fleckheisen are on the scene, guns drawn. But it is for Sillo who shoots at the teenager just as he steps back, still holding the knife. Yatim falls to the ground, still moving. Yatim, lying at the front of the streetcar, is tasered. Police then swarm the streetcar and kick the knife out of his hand. Okay, the first point I want to make here is just about crime coverage. What you just heard feels almost like a cop show. Sirens, then this happened, then that happened. Knife, guns, like it, it just seems like this high-pressure panic situation where decisions had to be made on the fly. And when you compare that with the YouTube clip that we all originally saw – Mm-hmm. where you have this huge gang of cops outside a streetcar and inside the streetcar is this one kid and events unfolding so rapidly or you close the door, which you can do from the outside of the streetcar. Comparing these two versions of what we all saw with our eyes, uh, uh, that this just didn't need to happen. And I'm not saying that the media is trying to present this as that the cop had no – or taking the cop's side. Mm -hmm. But there's just something off for me about the tone of of crime coverage in this context. Mm -hmm. I would agree. The second thing, Carly, uh, I've written about the Toronto Life cover story on the killing of Sammy Yatim, which like you've seen the video. Now here's the cop's side Mm -hmm. was basically Mm – the, the take that Mary Rogan had. And the part that I looked into was that she she didn't offer as this is what the cop says. She offered as fact an account of what happened. And she said things uh, in the piece like he could have reached for Sillo, the officer, in one leap. That was just presented as fact in the story, um, which just didn't seem like what we saw on the YouTube clip. We also read in that piece that for Sillo shot Sami Yatim after I think the quote was something like he seemed to make a decision. And it's presented in such a way that really kind of like torques what you saw on the YouTube. What, what I wrote about 
was I found out from some court reporters who spoke to me anonymously that Mary Rogan's account was virtually indistinguishable from the uh, Officer Frisillo's lawyer's account, mm-hmm. which was under publication ban. Mm-hmm. So now we can uh, compare that because the videos are out. Right. And we're getting like this expert testimony in, in court of the actual distances. So this idea that, you know, Yosemite team could have reached Frisillo in one leap. In fact, they did like a 3D recreation. He was 15 feet away. Mm-hmm. If he had kept going at the same distance that he was moving, he got shot when he made a, mo- a motion that was 50 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't like running off the streetcar. He made a motion that was 50 centimeters back towards the cop and he just drops him. Yeah, that'd be quite a leap. Yeah. They get very technical. They said that at the, at the rate that he was going, it was 10 or 11 seconds for him to reach the officer. That's a vi- like, Think about a slow-mo leap of 10 to 11 seconds. Like, like why are we having these tortured conversations, this, this like cover story in Toronto life about something that we just – we saw it. We mm-hmm. know what happened. Mm-hmm. There's a line in that Toronto life story about uh, there being a 90-second video that, that can never explain everything. Which is yeah. interesting because in the context of, you know, now seeing the perspective of what happened on the streetcar, it does seem to explain a lot more actually. I really pushed up against this a 90-second YouTube video, this dismissal mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like uh, social media, YouTube. What can that tell us? Yeah. The truth. And let's do this. We as journalists can go go in and give you this more fulsome picture. Let's talk about the officer. He's shy and quiet. That's how he was described in Toronto Life. Shy mm-hmm. and quiet guy. And, and like, you know, don't believe what you see on the internet. If not for the internet, oh, you especially know? when it comes to this topic of police brutality, police killing people, yeah. which obviously has been going on for a long time. And before people could take a cell phone video of it and put it on the internet, we had no idea. And we would mm-hmm. always just take the cops word for it. And maybe we still will, even when we could just see with our own eyes. Yeah. I guess I'm just looping back to the Toronto life thing and just not wanting it to slip away from consideration now that we see some of what. Mary Rogan saw, and right. we can look at her account. Like, why? Why? There's a good impulse where journal like, let's mm-hmm. take another take on this. Let's look at this from another perspective. What's the complete story? What's the other side of this? Like, that's just, we should be doing that. And yet, like, is there a danger to doing that? Where like, just this relentless need to have what's our take on this going to be, mm-hmm. and then you end up with something that just seems wrong. Well, it, it overcomplicates it, right? By several thousand words, I think that. I mean, Toronto Life was working with what they had at the time, presumably, but I I think it really overcomplicates a matter which is a lot more simple than that piece would lead readers to believe, which is that a kid got shot on the streetcar nine times for holding a little knife that would probably not have done very much damage to police officers who wear vests and who have guns. There's just so much more to it in that Toronto Life story that I don't think is actually super germane to the fact that a kid is dead. For- even, even if he had opportunity to attack them, which mm-hmm. he didn't, like mm-hmm. just, I don't know, it's sort of boggling to me. Yeah. There was also a lot of emphasis on the fact that, you know, he was, he was mouthy. He kept calling the cops names and stuff. And if there's yeah. one thing that police officers don't like, it's being undermined, right? Well, did you hear that cop screaming yeah. at him? Mm-hmm. Like the other cops didn't have their guns drawn. Mm-hmm. I think there's another aspect to this as well, which is... A police force that keeps getting funded and funded and Mm -hmm. funded and funded more than it's ever been funded. Mm -hmm. Police force that, of course, is armed in a city with record low crime. Yeah. Yeah. Record low crime. 
where the actual on-the-job experience of dealing with high-pressure situations is very low. Mm-hmm. The training for dealing with people with mental illness is incredibly, like, I don't know, is, I no. think they're trying to introduce something like that. And the tools at their disposal for uh, either in training of de-escalating situations or actual, like, weaponry is, mm-hmm. like, limited to a, to a handgun, which is not to excuse what this one officer did. Mm-hmm. Well, we might know more about it if the CBC had aired their documentary on – the killing of Sami Yatim, but they decided to hold it for now because they don't want to influence the trial. Once again, the Canadian media making some decisions for us. I was going to say. Just uh, looking out for us, don't want to give us information that might be da- too dangerous for us. I mean, in that case, though, when there's a trial happening. When did the Toronto Life story come out? Mm, that's true. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Carly, where can people find you? Also on Twitter. My name also. At Carly Lewis on Twitter. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make the show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday, and the next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. If you like this show... Please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.